MacCast, Sunday, October 15th, 2023. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to have you back here with me for another week of Apple hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in the Apple and Mac community. How are you doing? Hope you are doing very, very well. I am doing better. Things have been a little bit crazy. You may have noticed a little pause in shows. Apologies for that. I had just a lot of life things going on, family in town, among other just personal things and work going crazy and just life. Does that ever happen to you? This life gets out of control for a little bit and you need kind of a decompression period. Yeah. So hopefully you hear that. In this show, I'm feeling a lot better. Things are back on track and we should be good to go. And looking over the show notes, I have a lot of things to talk to you about this week, of course. Uh, we've got some iPhone 15 things going on that we haven't discussed yet. Some of you might know about this stuff, but we'll talk a little bit about iPhone 15s are hot and maybe not in the best way. We've got some Apple Pencil news haven't heard about those in a while. We'll talk about that a little bit. We've got Apple Watch Ultra stuff. We've got uh, what is going on maybe this fall with Apple's products. Yeah, a lot of stuff to talk about there. Um, there should be some things happening, but maybe they aren't. And then uh, we'll round things out with some Vision Pro news, uh, updates on what's happening with Apple Vision Pro. And that'll do it for the news for this week. And then I want to talk about uh, iCloud and some oddness. Got some inspiration from another member of the Apple community this week to have a little discussion around iCloud. Uh, try and help a listener out with some hard drive mounting issues. We'll talk about that and get into some tips and tricks for fixing that. And also probably ask for some of your help in figuring out uh, how you troubleshoot that sort of stuff. And then uh, we'll talk about displays and refresh rates and uh promotion and some things and try and help a listener out with that as well so that'll round out this episode of the maccast so it should be a good one let's just jump right in talking a little bit about iphone 15s feeling the heat yeah there were reports of i15s iphone 15s overheating i think this was mostly in the pro models and some even some users even citing swollen batteries on the new device has this happened to any of you? That would be a little bit uh, not great. And um, because of the new material, right, the new one's made out of titanium. It has an alumin alum aluminum, if I can say aluminium, for those of us, for those of you over in the UK, aluminum, aluminium substructure. Um, but then, of course, the new titanium chassis. Uh, because of that redesign and the new materials, it was leading a lot of people to speculate that maybe there was a problem with the actual construction of the phone. Now, Apple claimed it was an unusual iOS 17 software bug and not actually the materials. Uh, and in fact, they claimed that the new materials should be even better at dispersing heat than the previous stainless steel chassis. So Apple saying, no, it's not the materials. Uh, there were also reports of some specific apps like Uber and Instagram and other things causing potential overheating issues. So we have that going on, right? 
iPhones getting really hot, the new ones. And then there were also sporadic reports of a different kind of overheating issue. This was with wireless charging systems in BMWs. They were saying those were overheating iPhone 15s and possibly destroying or even damaging the NFC chips. So some people saying, hey, I put my phone in my charger in my BMW and then I couldn't use Apple Pay. Uh, 9 to 5 Mac pointed out that those reports are definitely not new nor are they isolated. They cite reports of issues with Audis, Teslas, Fords, uh, people saying that their phones get hot to the point of even giving that over temp warning. I have to say, I have not had good luck with my charger in either of my vehicles, my Honda or my uh, my Ford, but not because of overheating issues, mostly because they don't stay aligned on the dang pad. They, they bounce around, just vibrate just enough to go slightly off kilter and uh, just stop charging. I don't know if any of you had those issues or have a solution for that. I thought about maybe putting in some Velcro. Obviously, it doesn't have MagSafe, so that could be potentially part of the problem. But we have all these reports of uh, overheating. And then there were also limited reports on Reddit, according to 9to5Mac, of certain iPhone users claiming that they were getting distorted or crackly audio from their speakers when the volume was turned up too high. So almost like it couldn't handle uh, the amount of amplification or that there were speaker issues. So a lot of different issues. This happens, I think, every time a new phone comes out, right? You get reports of oddness, weird issues, and those sorts of things going on. Apple has released a few updates to iOS 17, and including this past week, they released iOS 17.0.3. That was specifically the one update that they said would address the overheating issues, as well as offering other updates, security, and bug fixes. As a matter of fact, this one patches a couple of actively exploited zero-day exploits. So if you haven't picked up 17.0.3 yet, you're definitely going to want to update to that. Uh, Apple has also been reportedly working directly with some of those application developers to better optimize their apps to avoid overheating. I have a feeling that they were probably using too much or doing too much in the uh, background mode, so like when it's asleep and stuff like that, citing some of the applications that they're talking about, like Uber and Instagram. That would be my guess as to what was going on there. Uh, Several of the apps actually have already issued updates. So make sure you're running your app updates if you've been running into overheating issues. And I advise checking the app store uh, frequently to make sure that you are getting updated versions of the apps as they are released. And that should hopefully fix some of the issues. I know another thing that happens every time a new OS update comes out, I'll get a lot of reports of people reporting lower battery life and other issues and things like that. Do remember that um, when you do get a new phone or transfer things or do a new OS update, there can be a lot of stuff happening in the background, uh, background processes and stuff like that going on for the first couple days. So I would always advise, you know, kind of wait a few, a week or so, maybe a couple weeks, see if things don't sort themselves out, especially as Apple puts out additional patches and updates and stuff like that. So no time to panic, but, um, you know, it's looking like a lot of these issues are either isolated or being addressed in software. Uh, There were a couple of news outlets, including ZDNet, that did some testing because there was some, I think, allegations that maybe one of the ways that Apple uh, kind of fixed this issue was throttling performance on the new devices. There's not really any evidence of that going on. And uh, as far as the fix itself, uh, as I was just 
talking about. ZDNet did some testing on the heat issues using a forward-looking infrared camera, FLIR camera. Uh, they did some heat testing on iPhone 15 devices before and after the update. They noticed uh, preview, prior to the update being applied, iPhone 15s could go well above 105 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's pretty dang hot. Um, and uh, then afterwards... Uh, it went down significantly, maxing out in the low 90s after the update. So still warm. The devices are still getting warm, but not dangerously warm, I would say. <laughs> so there is that. And then finally, there have been some users reporting sporadic Wi-Fi issues after updating to iOS 17. Um, I've actually noticed some oddities in apps like Discord or other apps. For me, it seems to be mostly what feels like a slow reconnect to Wi-Fi time. So like when the device goes to sleep, almost like it loses or lessens the Wi-Fi connectivity. And then right after I wake up my device, and I've seen this both on my iPhone 16 Pro running iOS 17 and my iPad, uh, that sometimes it won't connect to Wi-Fi. And um, toggling the Wi-Fi or restarting the apps often helps for me. I don't know, though, if that's just because in the time that I do that, it finally reconnects to the Wi-Fi. This is just a you know antidote, anecdotal um, from my perspective. I'm not positive on this. It's just something I have noticed. I don't know if any of you have experienced that. Um, but then finally, in sort of the OS updates. Apple did release for older devices iOS 16.7.1 with, again, those significant security updates for older owners of older iPhones and iPads that don't support iOS 17. So if you haven't updated your, uh, your iOS recently, you probably want to make sure that you grab those updates. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we did get a little bit of interesting news related to Apple Pencil. I don't know how much stock I'm putting in this one, but it is an interesting rumor, possibly a little bit thin, about uh, Apple Pencil 3 coming. This is from Twitter user Majin Boo. I think that's how you say that. Uh, or X user. Or I'm going to call it quit Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> A lot of people call it quitter, but no, I'm going to call it Twitter <laughs> continuing moving forward. I don't know. I just, X just doesn't sound right to me. I've been a Twitter user for so many years now. Anyway, the next version he's saying, or they, they're saying, I don't know if it's a he, a they, or a she, but uh, the next version of Apple Pencil could offer magnetic tips that allow you to swap the tips out for doing different, differing art styles. So whether you're painting or fine drawing or whatever it might be. Uh, I feel like you already sort of get this sort of thing with many apps kind of doing that in software. You get different brush strokes and brush types and stuff like that. I guess the idea here would it be that it would offer kind of a more real or more tactile experience. I don't know if there'd be some software things and some sensors and detection things to kind of take that to the next level. But it is interesting. I think we've seen previous devices, not Apple Pencil, kind of try to take this approach with swappable tips and things like that. And uh, really, I think you're going to need apps and software to support it. So I think this might be more of one of those things where Apple can really add a combination of providing API libraries, kind of these new tips and this new technology, along with Apple Pencil, integrating the hardware and software like they do so well. 
to give artists a lot more flexibility and control. And again, I think it's going to be more about trying to bring that more realistic experience to doing artwork on the iPad. So it all sounds really, really cool, whether it's actually a thing or maybe just something Apple's playing around with in the lab or with their R&D. We really don't know. But I thought it was an interesting rumor. So uh good thing, fun thing to kind of talk about. And I'd be curious to know from you artists out there, people who use Apple Pencil to do artwork on your iPad, does this intrigue you? Do you think this is a good idea? Would it would it really make a difference or is the software really good enough where, you know, just having the standard Apple Pencil with its pressure sensitivity and the new hover feature and all that sort of stuff, is that good enough? Uh, give me some feedback. Shoot me an email or audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. Some more news about Apple Watch Ultra and micro LED displays this week. This is according to a Weibo Weibo leaker. And also we've heard this from uh, Haitong International Securities Analyst Jeff Poo that Apple would bring micro LED displays to the Apple Watch. They've been working on this technology for years. We've had a lot of rumors that they want to bring micro LED technology to all of their products. We've heard it applied to different devices. Most frequently and most commonly, I think the Apple Watch. This leak claims that the displays when they are released would be about 10% larger coming in at 2.12 inches on the Apple Watch Ultra. Um, Apple's made a lot of strategic acquisitions around this technology. They've been really working to advance it. Um, I think there's some challenges in manufacturing. There's some challenges with cost. And it would make sense that they would bring it to probably the smallest size display first. Uh, it does offer improved brightness, color reproduction, viewing angles. doesn't suffer from things like the burn-in that you might get with OLED panels. So there's a lot of good reasons to try to bring it to market. Right now, it's sounding like the earliest we'll really see this technology might be 2025. So don't hold your breath. It's not happening anytime soon. And don't expect to see, to see it on iPhones or iPads uh, before then either. So could even get pushed back further depending upon how Apple does with the technology. And then for more recent stuff related to Apple Watch, Ming-Chi Kuo this week had a take on 2023 Apple Watch sales that was pretty interesting. He says Apple Watch shipments in 2023 are expected to decline by approximately 15% year over year to 36 to 38 million units. Now that sounds drastic or like a large number, but if you really think about it, Apple Watch is a pretty mature product. I don't know how frequently you upgrade your Apple Watch. I'm not an every year person. I know there are people out there that do that. I've had a Series 6 for a while, and I don't plan on upgrading anytime soon. And I think it's because we don't get a lot of huge updates with Apple Watch, right? The older models are still really good. They perform really, really well for most people. New Apple Watches tend to be higher end, more expensive. So I will note, though, that I have seen a ton of people just out in the wild, not even really tech people, who have the Apple Watch Ultra. So I think that model is likely doing very well just based on evidence from me seeing them often in the wild. And I definitely see a lot of people with Apple Watches, but they tend to be older. 
And Ming-Chi Kuo kind of cites the same thing. He says he doesn't see any significant updates coming to Apple Watch. Even in 2024, he doubts that there will be a micro LED display. We just talked about that. Probably not until 2025. You're likely not going to get blood glucose monitoring in 2024, a big feature that would, I think, sell more Apple Watches if Apple can get it in there. But it sounds like it's not coming to the device, at least not next year. So it's probably not going to get a lot better for Apple Watch. I think we're going to be kind of at stasis. There's not going to be a lot of growth and pay maybe even some declines. And we kind of saw this with iPad as well, right? So Apple just at the place where they've got these really mature products that have done really, really well in the market, but we're not seeing a lot of big feature enhancements and improvements. So you're going to see this slow roll off. And that's why I think their focus on something like Apple Vision Pro on the next big thing in terms of wearables or iPhones, smart devices and stuff like that, they really have to start looking to the future to see growth. And, you know, the other big growth area we know for Apple recently has been services around all these products. So Apple's going to have to just get used to that cycle and try and figure out, I think, other revenue streams or more diversified revenue streams to kind of get through this. But I, I don't see Apple Watch or iPad or even iPhone as continuing this trend of being this year over year upgrade, even for uh, a lot of early adopters. And again, I'm in that camp this year because I decided this was the first year I have not updated my iPhone because frankly, I just didn't see enough in the iPhone 15 Pro to really push me in that direction. If I was willing to go to the Mac size, then maybe for some of the camera features, uh, specifically the telephoto, but yeah, just not enough this year. So I did not upgrade myself. I don't know. How are you feeling about all these products? Are you upgrading every year still on a lot of the stuff? I know a lot of you out there are like me. You're on the leading edge of this technology. So you always want the newest, latest, greatest thing. Or are you finding you're starting to back off as well? I think overall numbers like this, when we see them, that's sort of what we're seeing happen. So I think we all expected that there was going to be some sort of fall iPad or Mac event, but here we are almost, well, really mid-October at this point, and any rumors around that are looking pretty light at best. It looks like we're kind of maybe done with Apple announcements for the year, maybe with one little caveat we'll talk about here in a little bit, but definitely the rumors that we had earlier in the year of maybe some M3 Macs showing up this year, or maybe some M3 iPads showing up this year are looking more and more unlikely. And it's sounding like supply chain reports seeming are seeming to mostly point to new notebook updates sometime in 2024. Now they're specifically citing notebooks. So there are some in the community who are still kind of holding out some hope for maybe some updates to iMac or Mac mini, the 24 inch iMac, as we know, has gotten pretty long in the tooth. The M1, uh, Mac mini and iMac. Will we see an M3? I really doubt it. Now there's some recent rumors late this week, sounding like we could just see a processor bump in maybe the iMac with an M2. So maybe we'll get a non, you know, Apple event announcement, but just a, a refresh of the iMac with a bigger refresh, maybe a redesign when they go to M3, maybe next year. So we'll have to wait and see if that happens. DigiTimes has been saying that Apple has been planning a mini LED backlight update for the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook 
Pros maybe before the end of the year. Uh, they say the updated displays would achieve a 10% increase in brightness at the same power levels. So this would be basically about delivering more energy efficiency as you're using it. So maybe better battery life. Mark Gurman has already predicted that any M3 Pro, M3 Max updates for these systems would happen sometime in mid-2024. So I don't really see them doing just a sort of display refresh on MacBook Pros before the end of the year. I'm not putting much stock into that DigiTimes report. I'm thinking it's all going to happen sometime in 2024, at least when it comes to MacBook Pros. So don't hold your breath on that one. Now we are hearing some things surrounding iPads, specifically the iPad Air and the iPad Mini. For sure, those are overdue for an update. And uh, Mark Gurman has previously said that those updates could happen this year. If anything does happen like that, again, it's likely to be a minor improvement, something like a processor bump from the M1 to most likely, if it happens this year, the M2. A lot of people, again, still holding out that maybe there'll be an M3 update. There could be minor front and rear camera updates, but we're not expecting like a huge refresh of uh, the iPad Air this year. Now, 9to5Mac came out with a report saying that Apple is working on two new versions of the iPad Air 6. They speculate that a second model could be coming in a either a larger size than the 10.6-inch or maybe a more expensive model with better specs. They didn't really give a time frame for that. Again, I think those kinds of updates are likely to be next year updates. And if we see anything this year, I think, again, it would be a non-announcement, non-Apple event thing at this point where they just spec bump uh, the iPad Air to an M2 and uh, maybe the iMac to an M2. So I'm, I'm thinking that could still happen maybe next week. We'll have to kind of watch the uh, watch the news feeds and see if that does happen. Now, research firm Omedia claims that Apple is looking at possibly bringing OLED displays to the iPad Pro lineup in 2024 and then eventually rolling it down into iPad Air and iPad Mini versions by 2026. They say display pl- sizes would still come in at 11 inch and 26 inch or 12.9 inches, excuse me, with panels being supplied by LG and Samsung. And then not to be left out, uh, our friend, the iPad mini, again, we're hearing uh, possible updates coming again, likely a minor spec bump, maybe moving to an A16 bionic processor uh, and maybe getting a bigger update next year. So if Apple does sort of this spec revision of the iPad Air to an M2, I would expect them to rev the iPad mini to an A16. Again, these might all happen next week. And um that would be sort of, I think, the Mac and iPad updates for this year. And then finally, on the Mac side of things, Mac sales look like they've fallen dramatically in the third quarter 2023 year over year, according to both IDC and Gartner. IDC estimates that global Mac shipments fell 23% year over year for the third quarter, and Gartner has the number at 24.2%. So those are pretty big drops considering that in the same time period overall PC decline was only around 8%. So you might go, "Oh my gosh, is Mac in trouble?" And no. Um I think 9 to 5 Mac had the right hot take on this. And it's basically that if you remember a year ago or 
over the past couple of years, actually, since 2020, when the pandemic started and everybody started moving to work at home, work remote, and those sorts of things, there was a huge jump up in Mac sales. A lot of folks realized, hey, I need a new Mac. They started buying new Macs. M1 was coming out. Everything was really hot. Apple Silicon was going. So you had a lot of people really upgrading. We called it kind of the pandemic bump. So there was a huge jump up. And so now what's happening, we're seeing is that kind of reset. Basically, sales are now falling back to their typical for Apple pre-pandemic levels. I don't think as many PC manufacturers saw as big a bump. Some of them did. Uh, Apple kind of got this huge jump up and then everything kind of chilled back out again. And so I think we're going back to the sort of normal stasis in terms of Apple growth. We'll have to watch it. I mean, it could be something different, but right now I think that that seems the most likely thing that uh, we are seeing, at least on the on the Mac side. And then finally, in the news for this week, we have some Apple Vision Pro news. Uh, it's struggling a little bit in terms of some of the engineering challenges, at least according to Mark Gurman. He says that Apple's engineering teams are working hard to kind of address a couple of issues that they faced with the first generation Vision Pro, uh, trying to make improvements for the upcoming and next generations. So they're already moving to work on that. I know we haven't even gotten the current model yet, um, but one of the things that they're not apparently happy about is still the weight of the product. Uh, they're afraid some users are going to complain that it's still a little bit too heavy at one pound uh, and will complain about neck strain even after short periods of use. Some of the early reviewers noted reviewers noted this, the people who Apple invited in and got to try it. Um, right now, the only solution for the current model is Apple's playing around with different kind of over-the-head kinds of straps. We know we saw some of those. Um, so just trying to take the weight off the existing model. There's not much they can do now that it's in really in production to kind of shave down the weight of it. But they're looking at what they might be able to do for future models. Uh, the other challenge, I guess, is those prescription lenses. I myself uh, wear glasses, so I'm going to need those. I have a feeling there's a lot of you out there, if you're getting a Vision Pro, who will need those. And the challenge that they're having there is just the way it kind of poses some logistical issues with the product because they have a couple options. If they're going to go in store, you're going to have to have all kinds of sets of lenses with different prescriptions and those sorts of things, those Zeiss inserts. And you'll have to have them for in-store try-ons for people to try on the device and then also stock different ones so that when people buy the device, they can provide those with the, uh, the Vision Pro. The other way that they could do it and Apple is maybe considering is that you try it on the store or you send in your prescription and then it's sort of like a build to order process. And what you'll get is your Apple Vision Pro with the lenses already kind of in it. Um, but the challenge that then uh, brings is a couple things. One, what happens when your prescription changes or you have another person in your household and they maybe have a different prescription and you want to share the device? Well, now you don't have a place just to go buy those lenses. How do you get additional lenses? Is Apple going to sell them online? What's going to go on there? And then the other thing is, is if Apple is shipping devices with the lenses, it could potentially bring some issues because it may push it into almost a health device category, like they're selling glasses, quote unquote. 
and uh, there could be rules and regulations and and things subject there. So Apple is kind of working through some of those challenges apparently at this point. We'll have to see how they end up handling all those things um, when Apple Vision Pro starts uh, starts shipping. Another interesting thing came out around glasswares, people who wear glasses and the Apple Vision Pro. Looking at some of the beta software uh, that developers have been w- working with, it looks like when you actually use the Vision Pro to create your persona, that's the virtual digital you that will show up in things like FaceTime, um, the system will ask you if you wear glasses to actually remove your glasses while it does that 3D scan to create your 3D model. And so that, of course, means that you're not going to have your persona with your actual glasses in it. It's not going to render that. So apparently what Apple's going to offer is a set of pre-styled virtual glasses. So they'll have different styles of glasses, you know, wireframes, big big plastic frames and all those sorts of things. And you're going to try to have to match your glasses, but they're not going to be exactly yours. So I don't see that as a big deal. (laughs) Not a really big deal for me. You get to pick some cool virtual glasses and put them on your persona, but that just maybe takes a little bit of the realism away. I don't know. We'll have to see how it works. I mean, overall, you've got a digital avatar that's not really you. And as nice a job as Apple showed in the demo, I have a feeling it's, it's going to be a little bit weird, right? especially for those folks on the other side of that FaceTime call. But that'll be fun when we start playing around with it. And I'm sure there's going to be glitches and all kinds of fun stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun playing around with Vision Vision Pro once it releases. And then um, just a few other things from the latest beta versions of Vision OS. Uh, one thing related to refresh rates. So I think Apple originally said the refresh rate on the Vision Pro was 90 hertz. It turns out it will be capable of displaying refresh rates up to 100 hertz, apparently, in certain situations. And it will actually be able to switch between 100 hertz, 96 hertz, and 90 hertz. Now, sounding like 90 hertz is kind of the default mode. It's going to be used for travel mode when you're like on a plane. But the 100 hertz is adjusted to compensate for a 50 hertz flicker that can sometimes occur from natural or or excuse me, not natural, from artificial lighting. So you might have lighting sources that it has to compensate for. And especially if you're doing kind of the pass-through stuff, you know, you don't want that flickering coming in to your video. So it will kind of adjust itself to compensate for that. And then the 96 hertz uh, refresh rate is for video content that might be filmed at 24 frames per second, which is more the natural film frame rate versus video frame rate. And uh, a lot of people like to shoot that and prefer that because they get, they feel it gives that more cinematic effect. Um, so variable refresh rate on uh, the Vision Pro displays. And then Mark Gurman also did some talking about What's it going to look like and what's Apple working on for a next generation, maybe less expensive eyesight, maybe an eyesight or, um, excuse me, a vision, an Apple vision versus an Apple vision pro. And, uh, he says one of the ways that Apple might be able to achieve that lower cost is they're looking at potentially removing the eyesight display. That's the external display that shows the virtual eyes. When someone walks into the room, that feature is really just for the comfort of people outside of the device. It doesn't really add any functionality for the wearer of the device. So that could be a place they could really cut cost. Supposedly, Apple is targeting trying to get a Vision Pro or Vision, an Apple Vision out in a $1,500 to $2,500 US price point. 
and uh, other cost savings might come from doing things like having fewer sensors in the product or maybe using a lower end or previous generation processor. So again, similar tactic, ta tactics as they've used with, say, the iPhone, where you have the iPhone and the iPhone Plus, and then you have the Pros, and the Pros have more features, more bells and whistles, thinner, lighter, all those sorts of things. And you'll have these little trade-offs. So I think that's not really surprising. And uh, definitely, I think we're going to see a whole Vision lineup uh, probably starting next year. So we'll have to wait and see how the Vision Pro sales go. I mean, that's going to be a big driver of how fast I think Apple ramps up the product, how well it's adopted and accepted by uh, by the community. And uh, I, for one, am looking very, very much forward to trying out Vision Pro next year. So hopefully I'll be able to get my hands on one. Hopefully the prescription lenses aren't going to be through the roof, although it's going to be a a big investment in a lot of early technology and that doesn't always go so well but we'll be able to talk more about that on uh, future ep episodes of the MacCast coming <laughs> next year but with that that is going to do it for the news for this week before we move on i do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor and that is zocdoc you know i think finding and choosing a doctor is always challenging, right? You want to find somebody who's going to fit your personality that is going to be able to work with your insurance, which is very important. And just downright somebody you're comfortable with and someone you like. But I think it can be even more challenging when you move into a new area. This is something I experienced recently. So if you recently moved, I think ZocDoc is a great tool to help you find a great doctor who you can connect with and who takes your insurance. Uh, in fact, all their doctors have verified patient reviews from real patients, no bots. And so I think that allows you to more effectively narrow in on somebody who is going to be a good fit for you and your family. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. And we're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. And you can go in there, you can filter for specifically ones who take your insurance, who are located near you, and they have doctors that treat almost any condition you're searching for. And there is no waiting. This is key for me too. I hate calling uh, to try to get an appointment and finding out I have to wait weeks to get in to see a doctor. The average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 48 hours. And you can even sometimes score same day appointments. And the booking and making appointments is easy. Just a few taps right in the app. No waiting on the phone with bad hold music just to find out you can't get an appointment. Uh, go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast and download the ZocDoc app for free and then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash MacCast, ZocDoc.com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. So first thing I want to talk to you about today is cloudy iCloud. <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. I, I put iCloudy in the title for the, for the show notes. Um, there's a somewhat disturbing but very excellent post on uh, six colors that I'm going to link you to uh, that sort of triggered this conversation in my mind. A great 
uh, article by Dan Morin. Um, there will be a link to it in the show notes that, at mattcast.com. And I highly recommend you go read his whole harrowing experience and read the whole thing. But essentially what it comes down to is I think something that we've almost all experienced if we've used iCloud, anybody who's used iCloud for a while, at some point, something goes south Something just stops working. Might be all of iCloud. It might just be one service like email or calendar. Um, and it suddenly is like unclear exactly why. And I think Dan calls it kind of the black box behavior. You know, stuff goes into iCloud, stuff comes out. And when it's working, it's it's awesome and it's great. But when it's not working, it's very, very hard to troubleshoot. And I would say... Typical troubleshooting, if you do run into iCloud issues, typical troubleshooting goes something like this. And I think you can fix a lot of issues by going through this process. So you're working with iCloud, some part of it or all of it stops working uh, or syncing on maybe a device or multiple devices. And so you start troubleshooting. First thing you maybe do is quit your app, reload your app, restart your phone, restart your systems. Maybe you even go as far as restarting your network trying to rule out anything going on locally, right? So you try all that. Maybe that works. Maybe that doesn't. You might go check Apple's system status page. So if you go to apple.com slash support slash system underscore status, that has the status of all their services. So that's a good thing to check too, right? Is iCloud actually down? Is mail actually down? Is some service actually down? It's like photos, you know, iCloud photo library down. Whatever you're having trouble with, you know, make sure that, that that's not happening. And then uh, if all that seems to not fix the issue, then typically what I would do is go in and start turning off and turning back on the impacted service in iCloud on my device. So if I'm having trouble with calendar, I might go flip calendar syncing off, flip that back on, see if that doesn't reset it. And uh, if none of that works, you get to the most extreme and what I consider to be maybe the most scary experience, although I've done it enough times now where I'm not as afraid, to, uh, not as afraid to do it anymore as I am, and I'm learning to trust the uh, syncing and backup of iCloud. Although I'm always a little bit leery, but you know, I also have my physical backups, so I feel a little bit more comfortable with that or my local backups. And um, but the most extreme option logging out of iCloud on a device and logging back in. And it's a little bit frightening because it will warn you about all these things about syncing and, you know, keeping data locally. And yeah, we've gone through the process. So you can go back and find other episodes of the MacCast if you want to talk about that. Or if you have questions about it, certainly, certainly send them to me and we can talk about it again. But basically log out of iCloud, log back in. And I have found 95% of the time, one of these things, you know, either you know, low end, just quitting and restarting your app or, you know, toggling Wi-Fi on and off or whatever it might be, that usually fixes the issue. Going all the way down to the extreme of, uh, you know, logging out, logging back into iCloud. But any one of those things along the way, well, 95% of the time results in a fix to iCloud. And that's great. But what happens when that doesn't work? And this was the position Dan was in recently, and I certainly have run into myself as well. And then that's when you probably pick up the phone or go online, go to chat, whatever, and you contact Apple support, right? And typically they'll try to walk you through all the same stuff that you did. Now, if you get a good rep, uh, they'll ask you if you've done all these things and you can tell them, yep, I already tried all that other stuff. Uh, it's still not working. And then hopefully, generally, they will pass you on to maybe tier two support or someone 
higher up the chain because you've gone through all of the troubleshooting process. And they might walk you through it. They might make you go through it again. And if you just follow along, then eventually they'll try to help you out even further. And so Dan got past the tier two service, but here's what happened to him. And here's where, in my mind, it gets really, really interesting. So the rep looked at all these things and uh, was going through his call. And he said at some point, then he just responded, oh, that explains it without providing much detail. And he said, asked him to put on a hold, puts him on a hold, came back and just said, I I can't really tell you what's going on, but uh, in about 12 hours, everything should be back to normal. If it isn't, give us a call back. Uh, And uh, sure enough, 12 hours almost to the dot later everything just started magically working again and thus you have the black box problem right because why did it go down why did it break why was it only for me uh and i think it's not an it was only for me case in a lot of cases i think the way apple has icloud structured up is i think certain accounts are relegated to certain banks of servers i i don't believe it's just a single server but i have a feeling there's like you know sort of tranches of servers that we have our iCloud accounts in and the one that in this case dan was on just happened to be doing something at the time now what what was it doing we will probably never really know because apple's never really going to say there's speculation um apparently on reddit there are a lot of Apple users who claim that iCloud servers will be sometimes just put into maintenance mode for guess how long? Exactly 12 hours. Um, but to Dan's point is like, you know, any other service other than Apple, they would probably notify you, right? Hey, we're going to go into maintenance mode for 12 hours on Thursday from, you know, this time to this time. So just be aware your services are going to be out. Apple doesn't do that. So if this is what they're doing, that's kind of bad support for iCloud, right? And it just further exacerbates the black box problem where we don't know what's going on. Now, another possibility, I guess they talked about on one of the podcasts he's on was, you know, maybe there was some sort of security thing like a subpoena or a national security letter. So Apple will get, you know, if somebody is doing abuse or misuse on an iCloud account, they can get subpoenaed in a criminal criminal thing, or they can get a national security letter. And that might require the shutdown of a server. And in that case, they may legally not be able to notify or let anybody know really what's going on. And so that could be a possibility there. But, you know, overall, that's just kind of frustrating. And, you know, just shows we're at the mercy of like when we opt into iCloud, we're kind of at Apple's mercy in terms of, you know, what's going on. But I I don't know that that's just with Apple, right? That's almost any cloud service. If you really think about it, right? You're sort of locked in to, and at the mercy of what's ever happening on those servers, which, you know, brings me back to, I trust Apple and I trust iCloud. I use documents and desktops. I have my full, you know, I have a lot of data and content there. But at the same time, I don't do that implicitly, right? I have, I make sure I have local backups, uh, my purchases. And I think I'm unusual in this. And I've talked about you doing this on the show as well. But, you know, I do movie purchases on, uh, you know, Apple movies. I make sure I download local copies of those and I back those up. Uh, I think a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people just think they're always going to be there to stream. Uh, and sometimes they're not, you know, sometimes studios and deals change and that stuff isn't there. So I make sure I have physical backups of that stuff, but, uh, yeah, the iCloud black box. So have you had experiences like this? Have you been 
in an outage for 12 hours. I don't know that I ever have, knock on wood, and I hope that never happens to me, but I certainly had other problems. And uh, hopefully, you know, if you do, some of those tips that I just gave will help you out. Now let's talk about the dreaded disk not ejected properly message with uh, external disk drives. Anybody who's used external drives on the Mac, you've probably seen this error a lot of times, or most of the time, it's when you have external drives connected, say, via USB or through a USB hub, and you just rip them out without unmounting them from your system. A lot of people just like to do that in the age of... Um, in the age of SSDs, it's maybe not as big a problem as it was in the past. You know, in the past, the reason for unmounting your drive before you just, uh, you know, sort of rip the cable out was if it was doing a data transfer at the time, you could have rewriters, you could have, you know, corruption, those sorts of things. I think that's less of an issue these days. Some people are just brave. Um, but certainly, if you're just running every day normally, you wouldn't want to see that message. But we do from time to time. And that's what prompted an email I received this week from Charles, who ran into an, some issues with an external eight terabyte drive that he was using for archive and backup. Uh, it seemed to suddenly not want to stay mounted anymore. And he was getting this issue of it mounting, uh, unmounting itself quite frequently. Now, the drive itself, when he went to check it, seemed to be fine. It didn't really have any issues. So he emailed me and said, hey, what's going on? Do you have some tips or advice uh, related to that? So I thought we'd talk about that a little bit. I think the typical way I would troubleshoot a, a drive issue like this would be to do a couple things. Very first thing I would do is I would open up Disk Utility and check the drive, uh, make sure that it doesn't have any formatting or volume issues, and resolve those. Um, if it didn't find anything there, then I would start to check uh, cabling. So maybe try a different cable, replace the cable. Uh, cables can just go bad over time. So if the drive's not bad, it could just be the cable or the connection. And then another connection point can potentially be, and this is where I've found most of the time the problem is, is with a USB hub uh, or a dock or something like that. And it could even be, you know, something new is connected to that dock and it's now causing a problem for that other drive. Weird things can happen when you're using docks. So I would disconnect it, connect the drive directly to your Mac for a while and make sure that you're not having, you know, that if the problem goes away, then you know, oh, okay, there's something related to my dock or my, my hub. If it doesn't, then, you know, you have some sort of other issue. So that's kind of the steps I would go through to troubleshoot. In general, I found uh, from, at least for me, it tends to be something with the connection or the connectivity. So either the cable's gone bad or there's something going on with my hub or, or, um, docking station or something like that. So uh, Charles was actually able, by connecting it directly to his Mac, to get the drive to stay mounted long enough uh, to go through, I guess originally he was going through an, an Anchor hub, um, but he could get it directly connected to go through a time machine backup. Unfortunately, while attempting to do a carbon copy clone of the drive uh, to, his, uh, to, a, to a new drive, his Mac went to sleep, and when he woke it back up again, he got the disk not ejected properly message. So this is another thing that I would advise checking is that if you're running into that, if it's sort of this kind of wake from sleep problem, 
um, I would go in to the sleep settings and battery settings and um, check the setting for um, put hard disks to sleep when possible and turn that to never. Because I have a feeling I've seen this with some drives where they go to sleep and then they just like disconnect from the Mac. Not all drives, I think, support this feature, but some do. So I would play around with that setting and see if that resolves the issue. Setting that to off and make sure that it doesn't uh, doesn't go to sleep when your Mac goes to sleep. So just let the drive run, especially for things like backup drives, time machine drives, those sorts of things that you do want running and mounted and, and that sort of thing. So I would play around with that and uh, maybe see if that doesn't resolve the issue for you, uh, Charles. And then finally, just on the connectivity issue, the cable issue, I do want to mention um, that something very specific. So I was having that issue with an anchor dock that I have. Um, and it's a vertical dock, so it sits upright. And the way the cables connect in the back, they come out and then the cable goes down, you know, like directly down uh, vertically. So, you know, when you hook a USB-C in instead of being, you know, wide horizontal and pulling down that way. In this case, it's pulling vertically down on, you know, that, that vertical plane. And so there's not a lot of strength there, let's just say. And if you've ever plugged in a USB-C cable, uh, you can notice you can wiggle it pretty good side to side if it's, you know, uh, horizontal. Uh, if you try to go the other way, it's still pretty tight, right? So the issue here is that weight of that cable sort of pulling down could actually cause it to not fully seat or disconnect, disconnect just enough that I was getting unmounting, especially if I would like bump my table or I also have a standing desk uh, that's adjustable. So uh, it's just like one of those things that sits on top of your desk and you can lift it up. So if I'm doing that and the cables shifted at all, I would get disconnects. So the way I resolved that was I actually found a really cool product from OWC uh, called Cling On. And they're these little clips. So these little clips that go on the end of your cables and they have um, like 3M sticky pad things. And you just plug those into the back of your dock and it gives support to your cables. And it actually resolved my issue because it stopped them from being able to jiggle around and move around. It kept them straight connected into the dock. So if you are having that issue, this is a product that you could look into. I will have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. Again, it's called the OWC Klingon and that's with a C like cling on, not like the Star Trek, um, race. Yeah. It's, it's not those, although that would be cool too. But anyway, so that's another thing that you might uh, try and you might check out. And then finally for this week, I have Varun who was uh, doing some experimenting with his 16-inch M2 MacBook Pro with relation to ProMotion. And the reason he was playing around with this was that he was trying to make a buying decision for a new iPhone. Uh, I guess over in India, the Pro model iPhones are 
much more expensive than the non-pro models. So he was trying to think between a iPhone 15 Pro Max versus an iPhone 15 Plus, and the 15 Plus doesn't have ProMotion. The iPhone 15 Pro Max obviously has ProMotion. I don't know how ProMotion displays compare between an iPhone and a desktop Mac. I guess you could probably get the gist of it, but that's what he was trying to do. He's trying to see, like, how much does ProMotion really matter? And so he went in on his 16-inch M2 MacBook Pro and just changed the refresh rate in displays from ProMotion, which is an option, down to a fixed 60 hertz, kind of a standard uh, refresh rate. And uh, that worked fine, but the problem was is he noticed immediately once he made the change that the battery life in his M2 MacBook Pro went down significantly. And interestingly is that he said in his email, I thought 60 hertz was, was more power efficient. Um, and the reason that's not correct is because, yes, ProMotion can go all the way up to 120 hertz. And if you were running at 120 hertz constantly, um, 60 hertz would be definitely power more power efficient. But ProMotion on the other end, I think, can go as low as 1 hertz. I'm not sure if this is on the Mac or the iPhones, but I, it can go way down to a very, very low refresh rate. And it does all of this dynamically. So depending upon what's going on on your screen, like if it's just sitting there and you're just reading text, it can crank the refresh rate all the way down because it doesn't have to do anything on the screen. There's no motion. Your cursor's not moving, nothing. It's just sitting there static. And so that's where the battery savings comes in. So it's not surprising that when you went to full 60 hertz refresh rate constant all the time that you're going to um, suddenly eat power. So that was fine. And that's what Varun experienced. But then he says, I reset it back to ProMotion and the battery didn't get better. That is thus where the problem is, right? That you would not want that experience. So he was asking our us in the community and asking me, how do I get my battery life back? How do I fix this? And the reality is, is I'm not really sure. I don't have an M2 MacBook Pro to try this out on and to play around with, but maybe one of you in the community does. The one thing that I did think of immediately was, you know, well, reset the, the NVRAM, the PRAM, because uh, that's how we would fix uh, battery and display issues in the past, but that's the old Intel days. And guess what? That's not a thing with Apple Silicon based Macs. So that ain't going to fix it. So if you were thinking of that fix, cause that's where my mind went first being old school. Yeah, no, that ain't going to fix it. It's not going to do it. So you got to try something else. So I did a little poking around. I did find an Apple support article that I'll link to in the show notes at maccast.com. This one's more related to if you are changing resolution settings, which you were doing on your Mac, and it actually broke. So you can put your Mac into a mode where the display just stops working if you're not careful, if you're playing around with display settings. And so if that happens to you, what Apple recommends is restarting your Mac in safe mode. And then that should allow you to get back into the displays and also reset everything back to kind of default get back into the displays and reset the setting back to default. And then you can reboot into normal mode and it should retain that setting. So I figure maybe this will work, you know, maybe it just got stuck in a funky state. So maybe booting into safe mode 
and resetting it, Varun, might fix your issue. Um, to get into safe mode on an Apple Silicon Mac, the way you do it is you shut down your Mac, and then you want to press and hold the power button on your Mac until the loading startup options appear. This is the thing that lets you select your startup volume. Select the startup volume for your Mac, and then once you do that, press and hold the shift key down, and uh, then click continue in safe mode when that comes up and the computer should restart automatically. And then when your login window appears, you should see the word safe mode in the menu bar. And that's how you know you're back in safe mode. Then, you know, boot into safe mode, reset the setting and then reboot and see if that doesn't uh, resolve your issue. So that's what I would try. Um, I think safe mode on Intel Max is just you know, booting with the shift key down from what I remember. So it's a little bit simpler. It sounds like it got a little bit more complicated, probably because of Apple Silicon and probably because of some of the T2 security chips and those sorts of things. So you may even have to do a little more involved process in, um, in Intel Max as well. Again, I'll have a link to the support article at uh, maccast.com. So it'll have all the details in there if you need to do this on an Intel Mac. But that was my idea. I guess the uh, last thing is, is does anybody else in the community have an idea or have run into this problem where you reset the uh, refresh rate on your promotion display and it won't go back to promotion. Um, if you have, you have a tip or a trick, shoot that to maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Thank you for hanging out with me. This has been fun. Uh, as always, before I leave you, I want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show supporters. Uh, bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you'll you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But with that, that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.